Chapters forty five and forty six of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. forty five. Mr. Bain is puzzled. It had been the popular belief at Headingham and Monkhampton that Lady Parham's first use of her liberty would be to take flight from the splendid seclusion of the place but to the surprise and even disappointment of these false prophets who would have liked to see their vaticinations realized lady parham still continued to occupy the gloomy old rooms and to take her lonely walks in the italian garden she had youth beauty liberty wealth all the world invited her to share its pleasures while the bloom was still upon her life yet she was constant to the dreary existence she had lived with her sick husband and seemed proof against the temptations which allure youth even mr bain wondered and was not slow to express his wonderment at her solitary and secluded existence he saw her looking pale and even careworn as if with sleepless nights and urged the necessity of change of air and scene you ought to spend a few weeks at weston supermare or malvern said the land steward during one of his periodical visits to the place visits which sylvia did her best to discourage but which mr bain continued as regularly as if he had received the warmest welcome the court of chancery had made him guardian of the infant heir according to the express wish of sir aubrey as recorded in his will lady parium having no one she could put forward against him he was thus for all practical purposes master of the house she lived in he could come and go as he pleased and she felt that his power had been increased instead of being diminished by her husband's death she made her stand against him however and without actually defying him did her best to resist his growing power you are extremely kind mr bain she said when the steward suggested change of air but when i want advice i will take it from mr stimson but you are looking ill must be ill i should think and you don't call in stimson when i want him i shall send for him very well lady parium of course i have no right to interfere beyond the warm interest i feel in all that concerns you sylvia drew herself up haughtily at this speech be good enough to confine your interest to my son's affairs she said the court of chancery did not appoint you my guardian i cannot be interested in the son without some anxiety about the mother for st john's sake you are bound to take care of your health you are ruining your health and even injuring your beauty by the dismal life you lead here that expression injuring your beauty struck home lady parium looked in her glass directly mr bain was gone to see if he had told her the truth yes there was no doubt of it she had a faded look already her eyes were hollow and their brightness was not the liquid lustre of happy youth but a feverish brilliancy she had a look of mrs carter she tossed off the light widow's cap impatiently pushed back the thick hair from her forehead and looked at herself with a searching scrutiny yes there are wrinkles coming already she said already and i am not three-and-twenty i think too much i want rest of mind change of scene that man is right his watchful eyes see everything i wonder they don't read my inmost heart he is right i want change fresher air to blow the faded look out of my face but how can i ever leave this hateful house mr bain went home ruminating upon that brief conversation with lady parium he had perceived her startled look fleeting as the expression was when he spoke of her faded beauty she wants to preserve her good looks he thought 
is it for edmund standard's sake i wonder a change had come upon the respectable dwelling in monkhampton high street and this time the change was permanent there was no further cause for the fluctuations of hope and fear the mourning band which mr bain had put round his hat after sir aubrey perriam's death had been replaced by a deeper band which covered the hat almost to the top shadrach bain was a widower mrs bain had revived considerably in the milder climate of cannes her health indeed had so much improved as to renew hope in clara louise's breast but just when she gave most hopeful accounts of the invalid there came a sharp and sudden attack which swept away this frail life long as their minds had been divided by hope and fear this event was a terrible shock for all the sons and daughters ill-health had become in a manner their mother's normal state they had grown accustomed to think of her as an invalid but they had never prepared themselves for her loss deepest sorrow and deepest gloom descended upon the comfortable orderly household the jingle of the housekeeping keys the pride of being mistress of her father's house gave matilda jane no pleasure the absence of the gentle house-mother made too sad a blank in the home mr bain took his loss very quietly people said he felt it all the more but if his grief was deep it was not a vehement or passionate sorrow his countenance always serious and thoughtful had a graver look now he walked with downcast eyes as if meditating upon the things of an unseen world he became somewhat less regular in his attendance at the lengthy services in water lane chapel whereupon the water lane chapelites charitably disposed to a man of mr bain's standing told one another that the poor dear man could not bear to sit in the family pew without his wife in the cemetery just outside monkhampton a handsome stone memorial of the square and solid order an obelisk with a flame at the top which looked rather more like a landmark for distant navigators than a tribute of affection to the dead already testified mr bain's devotion to his departed spouse there had been no delay the order had been given to the mason the day after the funeral the handsomest monument he could supply for a hundred pounds after a month or so the land steward's household returned to its normal state of methodical comfort matilda jane had been too well drilled by the departed housewife to forget her teaching her eye was as keen as her mother's to scan the items in the butcher's book and to detect a miscast of a column or an error in the reckoning of ounces her hand was as steady as her mother's to weigh the grocery and never made the servant's weekly half-pound of tea too light or too heavy the two domestics allowed that miss bain was just though if anything closer than her mamma now that home had lost its chief charm in the removal of a fond and faithful wife mr bain might be forgiven if he spent less of his leisure by the domestic hearth than he had been wont to spend of old he rode more and devoted more time to the inspection of the perriam property not a broken hurdle or a loosened drain-pipe escaped that piercing eye he took a good deal of trouble about small improvements especially on that part of the land in which lady perriam had a life interest if it were his own property said the gossips mr bain couldn't be more careful of it twice in every week he called at perriam place saw lady perriam inquired after the health of his ward and if possible saw that small individual who was apt to squall vindictively at the sight of the guardian to whom the high court of chancery had confided his infant years it's a pity nurse tringfold said but sir john doesn't take to mr bain and can't be made to take to him sylvia reluctantly endured the steward's visits and though she always resisted his interference she was nevertheless compelled to submit to it 
he superintended all the details of the household or as the servant said he had a finger in every pie one day soon after that evening walk upon the cropley common which had united edmund and esther with the sacred bond of betrothal mr bayne took occasion to make some inquiries about mrs carter why do you keep that woman lady Perriam? he asked she is a very costly servant i was surprised to find what heavy wages you pay her and she can hardly be of any use now she is a great deal of use replied sylvia and i have no intention of dismissing her the agent shrugged his shoulders and gave lady perriam that keen look she both feared and hated her cheek had paled at his question was it anger that sent the sensitive blood from that fair cheek don't be angry lady perriam of course i've no right to interfere but some people are fond of interfering without right returned sylvia sharply she was generally beaten in her battles with mr bayne yet she never succumbed without a struggle but i take a natural interest in your affairs continued the agent calmly without any notice of the interruption and i don't like to see you do anything foolish out of good nature for my own part i never keep more cats than can catch mice and i really don't see what earthly use this carter woman can be to you perhaps you will kindly remember that she began life as a lady and call her mrs carter instead of this carter woman i'll be as deferential as you like lady perriam but you haven't told me why you keep her she is useful to me in more ways than one first and foremost she nurses mr perriam when he is out of sorts but if mr perriam is ill enough to want a nurse he ought surely to have the attendance of a medical man stimson should take him in hand mordred is not ill enough to require mr stimson but his head is a little queer now and then mrs carter has more influence over him than any one and can soothe him as she used to soothe poor sir aubrey yes she is a clever woman i always fancy those clever women with their soothing ways have a touch of the serpent at their composition i trust mrs carter and i like her so you may suppose that she is not a serpent but you are so innocent lady perriam any one might take you in i'm sorry poor mr mordred is so queer he ought to come out of his hole oftener get more fresh air see the world a little in short it's enough to addle any man's brain to be shut up in two rooms from one week's end to the other mr perriam has never cared to leave his room since his brother's death pray don't suggest that doctors should see him they might urge us to put him into a lunatic asylum he is only a harmless half imbecile old man he is well off as he is very well lady perriam i will not interfere nothing pleases me better than to obey your wishes if you will only express them plainly then i wish mordred perriam to be let alone and not be troubled by mr stimson or any other doctor so be it as long as his bodily health gives no cause for alarm we must not let him die for want of medical care he is not likely to die yet awhile said lady perriam with something like a regretful sigh as if mordred's existence was just a little burdensome he is well cared for by mrs carter and he is as happy as he can be allowing for his natural grief for the loss of his brother this settled the matter for once the land steward was conquered indeed his manner of late had been more deferential than usual he seemed as he declared himself only anxious to please lady perriam in all things he was not a little disturbed by the thought of this interview with sylvia as he rode slowly homewards he had never liked mrs carter 
her placid countenance and her repose of manner worried him for he fancied that beneath that smooth exterior she concealed an active intellect and perchance a plotting brain a brain that might counterplot his own secret plans he would have given much to get her away from parium place powerless as she must be compared with himself but he now perceived that it was vain to think of getting rid of her she had some hidden influence some firm hold upon sylvia parium there is something thought shadrach bane some secret between those two women i could read as much in lady parium's face to-day when it paled at the mention of mrs carter's name is the link a secret of the remote past before sylvia was sir aubrey's wife or has it something to do with the time i was away just before sir aubrey's death there was a strangeness in lady parium's manner when i first saw her after her husband's death which i have never been able to explain to myself i have not forgotten her look of horror when we went into sir aubrey's room a woman's natural horror of death perhaps yet she seems of too stern a metal for weak fears such as those there is something a secret a mystery somewhere and that woman carter knows all about it why should i puzzle my brains to unravel it whatever it is i'll make it work into the web of my own scheme or i am something less than shadrach bane forty six sylvia writes a letter very sweet was that summer tide to esther rochdale the old commonplace life went on at dean house esther's mornings were still devoted to ellen sargent's children she taught them played with them petted them was in fact a second mother to them while the languid widow spoiled by the tropical luxuries and indolences of her three years life in demerara lolled upon sofas dawdled through the last new book from the library and lamented her dear george esther had her meed of praise and gratitude from mother and grandmother but the duty itself was pleasant to her and the love of those impulsive little ones was ample recompense for all her trouble esther's life was full of occupation she had her music which she cultivated assiduously for edmund's sake she had to read the books he recommended her sometimes books which required all a feminine intellect to understand she had her district her sick and poor by whom she was tenderly beloved and whom she never neglected but with evening and edmund's return from the bank came esther's holiday mrs sargent after resting all day was equal to the fatigue of sitting in the nursery while the children were being prepared for bed and of even hearing them say their prayers though this she complained sometimes made her head ache esther had edmund all to herself of an evening for mrs standon with a mother's unselfishness was never happier than when these two were absorbed in each other and forgetful of her the dearest wish of her life had been gratified when she saw them united for now she told herself edmund must have forgotten that wicked sylvia carew nothing less than her son's engagement to esther would have convinced mrs standon upon this point years ago she had planned her son's marriage with her orphan ward it had been in her scheme of the future when esther still wore diaper pinafores with lace frills round her neck and arms and broad scarlet sashes and shoulder knots she was a pretty child and would grow up a pretty girl and edmund must inevitably fall in love with and want to marry her thought the mother forgetting that young men rarely wish to marry young ladies whom they see every day of their lives or at least not until they have been led astray once or twice by less familiar charmers but now all was well edmund had been foolish and was cured of his folly there is no better wisdom than that of a man who knows he has been fooled 
there had been no talk yet awhile of wedding-day or even of the trousseau the lovers were happy and in no haste to change these light bonds for the heavier fetters of matrimony whenever edmund touched upon the question of when the marriage was to be esther put him off lightly and could not be induced to prolong the discussion i want to be very sure of you before we are married edmund she said and for you to be sure of yourself i believe in long engagements they had many a walk and ride together in the summer evenings and the newsmongers of headingham were not slow to find out that this time it really was an engagement between mr standon and miss rochdale i had it from mrs standon herself my lady said mary peter when she told lady perriam the news on a sultry morning late in august it might be the heat which made sylvia so deadly pale just at that moment miss peter thought or it was just possible that she did not quite like to hear of her first lover's intended marriage but she couldn't have cared for him very much anyhow reflected mary peter or she wouldn't have cast him off as cool as she did when is it to be asked sylvia in a tone of indifference that imposed upon the artless mantua-maker not just yet but it's quite settled miss rochdale wants it to be a year's engagement mrs standon says if not longer and i don't wonder at that there's something so nice in courting when people are once married they so soon settle down and it's all over and done with and after the first six months they might just as well have been married ten years for any difference one can see in them i know i should like a long engagement if i was keeping company with any one i'm to have some of the dresses to make mrs tanton says so i shall know a good bit before the wedding and i can let you know all about it let me know cried lady perriam do you suppose i care who mr standon marries or when he marries no of course not my lady said mary peter afraid she had offended i hope you don't think i've taken a liberty in mentioning such a thing but i thought you might feel just a little interested in mr standon after having been engaged to him yourself i remember what pleasant walks we used to have of an evening you and me and alice cook and how we used to meet mr standon promiscuous and how he always seemed to wish alice and me away to think of my making your wedding clothes and believing it was for mr standon all the time when you was going to marry sir aubrey and be made a lady of title what a wonderful life yours has been sylvia i beg pardon my lady a wonderful life repeated sylvia with a sigh yes it is a wonderful life i wonder what will be the end of it and a happy life too i should think said mary in this beautiful house and with these lovely rooms furnished according to your own fancy mary cast an admiring glance round the bright-looking boudoir which lady perriam had embellished and that dear boy in that lovely bassinet with white lace curtings over pink silk mrs tringfold was kind enough to let me have a peep at the pretty dear as i came past the nursery door and quite your own mistress too quite my own mistress echoed sylvia yes there was never any one more free than i she dismissed mary peter and then began to pace the room with quick impatient steps the dark eyes glittered angrily the full underlip was held in by the small white teeth this was the end of it all then this was what came of her liberty she had been a widow more than five months and in all that time edmund standon had made no sign she had waited with a sickening heart for some token that the old love was not utterly dead that to know her free was to love her once again he had loved her so well of old was it possible that such love could die 
in her heart it lived and burned still a deathless flame why should he find it easy to forget when memory had such power over her he had seemed to love the best in those old days he had been ready to sacrifice so much for her sake to lead a life of poverty and toil even until this news of mary peters she had still hoped building much upon her knowledge of edmund's character she had comforted herself with the idea that he was only waiting till a decent period of mourning should be passed and he could approach her with a good grace this announcement of to-day was a death-blow all that day and all the next she spent in the solitude of her own rooms shunning even the nursery and the garden where her child now a fine little fellow of more than twelve months growth beguiled the long summer's day with his baby sports she looked so pale and was so silent that her maid thought she must be ill and said as much to mrs carter who went to lady perriam's room soon afterwards full of solicitude i heard you were ill she said and came to see if i could be of any use sylvia was in no humour for sympathy even from mrs carter you can be of no use she answered if i wanted you i should send for you the nurse drew back with a pained look it's hardly kind to speak to me like that she said i cannot study my manner of speaking to you you should not come to me unless you are sent for returned sylvia impatiently she was sitting in her easy-chair by the open window in a listless attitude gazing straight before her at the dark line of the avenue and the distant hills beyond that boundary sylvia said mrs carter bending over the weary-looking figure you are unhappy and i have a right to be near you not the right of motherhood alone i may have forfeited that for ever but the right of having served you at the sacrifice of my own peace god knows i have never known an hour's peace since i did you that fatal service what am i the better for it cried lady perriam turning fretfully from the eyes that looked at her with such mournful tenderness i wish it had never been done would to god it could be undone that can never be till some of us are dead answered mrs carter in a tone of deepest despondency i told you at the time sylvia when i tried to dissuade you on my knees that it was an act which once done was done for ever remorseful tears agony of mind can avail nothing now the thing is done will your preaching mend matters do you think cried sylvia angrily why do you come here to torment me i want comfort not torture if i only knew how to comfort you said the mother regretfully there is no such thing as comfort for a grief like mine i have lost the only being i ever cared about he is lost to me for ever you mean mr standen whom else should i mean he is the only person i ever cared for and now he is going to marry esther rochdale are you quite sure of that quite sure it is a settled thing his mother has persuaded him into this engagement i dare say but the fact remains he is engaged i thought that when he heard of sir aubrey's death and knew that i was free his heart would turn towards me again he cannot have forgotten me my love for him is the same to-day as it was two years ago but you can hardly expect him to believe that or to forgive you for having broken faith with him perhaps if he knew how you repented that falsehood he would turn towards you again but even if he did well what then you could hardly marry him said mrs carter in an awestruck whisper she looked at her daughter with a curious expression 
half horror half pity as if she wondered at having given birth to so relentless a being yet clung to her with all a mother's love what other motive had i for wishing to be free asked sylvia mrs carter covered her face with her hands to hide the tears she could not keep back tears of shame and agony she had felt the sting of shame for herself drained the cup of self-abasement but this shame which she felt for her only child seemed even more bitter you had better go back to your charge said sylvia coldly i am going answered the mother she tried to clasp sylvia's hand but was repulsed impatiently you always make me miserable said lady perriam you are such a bundle of weakness had i any one of strong mind and steady purpose to lean upon i might leave this hateful house but how could i trust to you to watch over my interests while i was away it would be leaning upon a reed i am sorry you consider me so despicable said mrs carter with a touch of bitter in her quiet tone i have been faithful to you against my own conscience go said sylvia and before you prate of conscience try to remember that i took you out of the gutter the shot went home mrs carter's face always pale grew deadly white at this savage taunt she left the room without a word and sylvia perriam was alone she rose and paced the room in a fever of excitement he may not know that i am sorry she said to herself musing upon her mother's suggestion he may not know that i loved him even when i was false to him loved him with all my heart when i deserted him but he shall know it he shall know this wretched heart before he marries esther rochdale having risked so much to win him why should i shrink from one more hazard he despises me already if i fail in this last effort he can but despise me a little more he shall know that i am at his feet and then let him abandon me if he can she seated herself before the ashwood writing-table with his dresden china fittings strangely different from the battered mahogany desk on which the schoolmaster's daughter had been wont to write her letters she wrote a few hurried lines with a hand that was somewhat tremulous though the characters looked firm enough upon the paper wrote to edmund standon for the first time since that fatal letter which was to dissolve their engagement will he think this step wanting in womanly feeling or will he be glad she wondered and then with a bitter laugh she murmured womanly feeling i bade farewell to that when i jilted the man i loved in order to marry sir aubrey perriam End of chapters 45 and 46